title of this morning's message is Attack Mode. Attack Mode. And as we're jumping into the eight days before Christmas, everything seems to gear up and escalate to a higher level. Can I get an amen? And we go into what we would call attack mode. And so I want you to get prepared for what God has going on in your life. And um, as we jump into this morning's message in John chapter number one, I do want to take a moment and I want to just say thank you to all of our nursery workers at TWBC. Can I get a hand clap of praise for all of our nursery workers? Man, they do an amazing job. They put up with long-winded pastors that go over on time frames. And man, I just want to say thank you to all of our children's workers and nursery workers. Thank you guys for all you do. You do an amazing job. And you are the ones that help us raise eternal and community hope as we ignite nations around the world, impact a four-state area, but influence the culture right here where we're at. And you got about two weeks left to influence the culture of your community and your circle of influence. And so do that over the next couple weeks as we wrap up the year 2017. I love the gospel of John and I love the gospel of John and especially the Christmas story and Jesus's birth in the gospel of John. Now, most people are sitting here thinking right now, it's like, well, pastor, Matthew and Luke are the only ones that have the, 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 the account of Jesus's birth. And I like to differ on that because I believe John has the most accurate account of Jesus's birth. It's got the account of Jesus's birth from heaven's perspective, not from earth's perspective. It's got the reality of Jesus' birth, and it's the true Christmas story from heaven's perspective. Now, we know in the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about the Magi and all the cool stuff, and in the Gospel of Luke, it talks about the, the angels, and they appeared and everything like that. But the Gospel of John talks about the birth of Jesus Christ and its true intentions of who Jesus has called us to be. And so when you found John, John chapter number one, verse number one, everybody say, I'm there. Everybody say, I'm ready. Everybody say, attack mode. The Bible says this in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He was with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made in him was life. Everybody say life and the life. Everybody say life was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So if you've ever been discouraged about Christmas time, if you've ever been discouraged in your Christian faith about we don't see enough people getting saved or born again, and where is the church in the, in the state that it's in, the Bible says this in John chapter number one, verse number five, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Christianity is still the fastest growing faith in the world today. Can I get an amen on that? Not in America, but it is in the world. But we are so American-focused sometimes. We're so discouraged about the church. But in a world focus, Christianity is still the fastest-growing faith because Christianity is based on a relationship, not based on a religion. Amen. And so I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus Christ is still alive. He's still on the throne. He's doing more than he's ever done. And he's spreading the gospel, his gospel, around the world at an unprecedented rate. Can I get an Amen. So I'm excited to be a part of what God is doing in this day. And as we've talked about this series, Sam T. Sirk, we've talked about um, Jeff and John did a great message a few weeks back on the letter C, and it was compassion, and there were carriers of hope. Damon and Corey did a great message on the letter T, and that's transformation. Sometimes you're on the mountain, sometimes you're in the valley, but Jesus is still with you in both places. And then last week we talked about the letter M, an anointed mess. An anointed message. Can you hang on to the message of God long enough to get you through the mess? Today we're talking about the A in Christmas and it's attack mode. 
attack mode. And we want you to get ready for what's going to happen in the next day, eight days. And so if we're going to answer the questions, are we celebrating who we do not know? And have we gotten Christmas backwards? We're going to have to cro- approach Christmas with a plan and execute that plan and go into attack mode on it. So my question for you is, what if we were to approach Christmas like we approached Black Friday shopping. Are you ready for this? What if we were to approach Christmas like Black Friday shopping? Give me a minute. Friday shopping. And here's the thing about Black Friday shopping. You just don't go Black Friday shopping. Anybody who really does Black Friday shopping, there's a method to your madness. Black Friday shopping, you get ready. There's some amazing things. You prepare. My family prepares for Black Friday shopping. We are that family. Our kids, we drag them through every store. My wife buys a newspaper the week before. She gets the Black Friday ads coming to her email in July. I mean, she's ready for this thing. She begins to prepare. And so the day before we go Black Friday shopping would be Thanksgiving. The smart guys in our family, that would be me and Jeff and Dad and all the boys, were outside fishing and riding four-wheelers. The women aren't. They are dissecting this newspaper piece by piece. They're picking out which stores they're going to go to. They're making a strategy. They're making a plan. Because if you're going to accomplish the mission of Black Friday shopping, which is literally to hit 100 stores in about eight hours, right? Come on. You can't just show up and go Black Friday shopping. If you do, you're going to look like you got ran over by Santa's reindeer at the end of the day. Right? Black Friday shopping. They approach it. They prepare. There's a strategy. They make a list. And then they go out and execute that plan. Me and my wife, we, this is literally it. It's like, here we go. In 30 minutes, I'm going to meet you at this door over here. You take one kid, I got the other kid, ready, break. Here we go. And we take off in separate directions. We meet up at the extraction point because it's a mission. If you're going to accomplish Black Friday shopping, you don't just show up for Black Friday shopping. There's a plan. You prepare it. There's a strategy in making a list. And then there's the execution of the plan in the process of it. So I want us to approach Christmas Day, it's eight days away, like we would approach Black Friday shopping. Are we preparing? Are we making a list? Is there a strategy? And will we execute the plan for Christmas Day? Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is this. It is to get... Christmas.
All right? So let's jump into this. Let's figure out how we're going to get Christmas this year. As we're going into this mission of getting Christmas, I want to talk to you just for a moment about the shepherds and the, and the story and the birth of Jesus Christ. As we talk about the shepherds, the Bible says that an angel appeared to them as they were out in their pastures. And as the angel appeared to them, they watched what the angel had to say, and then they went and saw what the angel told them that they would go see. But here's the thing you got to realize about shepherds, and that you got to realize about your life. If a shepherd is going to accomplish his task and do what he's called to do, a shepherd is, first of all, very passionate about what he does. The greatest shepherd of all in the whole Bible is obviously Jesus. We know that. But another great man that we love to read about in his shepherding days was King David. And you're not a man of passion. I'm sorry. You know you're a man of passion when you have a story written about you that says, I killed a lion and I killed a bear and now I'll make this uncircumcised Philistine look like one of these. You know there's some kind of passion on the inside of you if you're going to fight a lion, if you're going to fight a bear, and if you'll make this uncircumcised Philistine look like one of them. There's something in him that drove him to this type of passion to accomplish the work that he was doing in that day. And I'll tell you this, and this is a side note, if you don't learn to kill the lion and the bear in your private life, you'll never kill the Goliaths in public. Okay, if you don't learn to start dealing with your private issues that nobody knows about, you'll never slay the Goliaths in public. A lot of churches want to slay Goliaths in public, but they're not willing to deal with the lions and the bears in their own private life. So I want you to begin to get some passion about what you're going to accomplish in this. So the mission of shepherds is this. They know they got to have passion in it, but there's got to be a purpose that lines up with their passion. Because if there's no purpose and you just have passion... You're just a wildfire, right? If you go to Black Friday shopping with passion, we're going to buy all our Christmas gifts, but you don't have a purpose in who you're buying for, you're not going to buy anything. Can I get an amen on that? And so some of us in our life, we got great passion for Jesus Christ, but if your passion is not driven by a purpose, you're not really accomplishing anything. Because a lot of us, we can go Black Friday shopping and you can say, hey, I want to buy all these gifts and we can go with great passion. But if you don't know who you're buying for at the end of the day, you're sitting at the end of it and you spend all day shopping and you're worn out and you're spent and you look like you've been beat up by about 15 million people in the stores and you got nothing to show for it. Very similar with our Christian walk. A lot of us have great passion for Jesus. We love Jesus, but we're living our life with no purpose. And if you don't begin to live your life on purpose, you're going to look at the end of your life and say, man, I had all this passion, but what do I have to show for it? If there's no purpose in your passion, your passion will just drive you and keep driving you and you'll get nowhere in life. You must begin to develop a purpose that goes along with your passion because everybody understands passion and we all have passion about something, but without the right purpose, your passion becomes destructive. Everybody has a passion for something. Some of you are saying, I don't. I would just love to sit on the couch and do nothing. That's your passion. Sitting on the couch and doing nothing. You want to know how I know it's your passion? Because when somebody tells you to get up and do something, you get mad at them. You're passionate about staying on that couch. Come on, give me an amen on that. Some of you are like, I don't like him now. He's stepping on my toes, right? No, you've got this. Now listen, in this moment, you're all passionate about something. 
But if you don't begin to define your passion with a purpose, you'll end up walking into more destruction than construction for the kingdom of God. You must begin to define your passion with a purpose. Jesus defined his passion of the cross with a purpose called you. You're not an accident. You didn't get born again on accident. You got born again on purpose, not your purpose, but his purpose. So Jesus' passion drove him to the cross. His purpose was you. And then when you have a passion that's driven by the purpose, you'll end up at the promises of God. A shepherd knows this. A great shepherd knows this. He knows that if he is faithful with what he's been entrusted, he'll get the promises of God at the end of it. Now, what I'm saying that is if a shepherd is faithful and he's passionate about what he does with the purpose that he has, the sheep will bear fruit at the end of the process. They'll have a big coat of wool that they can shear and sell. There will be meat to be had. There will be food on the table because he's passionate about what he does and he does it with a purpose and on purpose. There are promised results at the end of good stewardship of physically taking care of sheep. Your life is no different. Jesus has a purpose for you and he's got a passion for you because he wants you to get into the promises of him. Listen, what he's doing in in Psalm 23 is the Bible says this, this is the quintessential verse about a shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. That means we're the sheep, right? A lot of us say the Lord is my shepherd, but we we still want the staff. (laughs) Have you ever seen a sheep carrying a staff? If you are carrying the staff as the sheep, then you're trying to be the shepherd and not the sheep. That means you're trying to be God of your life and control your life instead of letting God care and take care for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or be in lack, the Bible says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now now listen, when you are living out the purposes and plans of God in a passionate way that's getting to the promises, it makes God look good. God wants you to be something with your life because it makes him look good, right? It's kind of like we have the, the scenario now going on in much of the world the, that, that takes place. It's you have uh, parents that are in their uh, 50s to 60 ranges and the 30-year-old kid at home on the couch still, right? I said 30s, okay? <laughs> and he's still sitting at home on the couch and he's passionate about the sofa and eating the Doritos on the sofa and not accomplishing a lot because he's still on the sofa. There's not a proud parent in the house that says, that's my baby boy, I sure love him. I'm so proud of what he's made of himself. Why is it any different in the kingdom of God? When you are passionate about what you do and have a purpose in what you do, and you're making the promises of God come to pass in the earth because you're listening to the shepherd and you're being the sheep, it makes him look good. He leads and guides you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there may be some trying times. You don't have to fear evil because you're with the shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do, do you understand the purpose and the passion of the shepherd for the sheep? Do you understand that a shepherd that runs with passion 
and does it with purpose will walk in the promises of God. Now, I'm going somewhere with this because now that we have the shepherding part down and you realize that if you're going to approach Christmas like you do Black Friday shopping, you need to start getting a passion for what Christmas truly is. The term Christmas, by definition, is Christ and Moss, and it means Moss means to celebrate. Christ means the anointed one in his anointing. So when you say Merry Christmas, you're saying be very happy and joyful because the anointed and the anointed one is who we're celebrating. That's what you're saying every time you say Merry Christmas. So every time you say, Merry Christmas. You're not very passionate about what you're saying. Because you really don't know what you're doing because there's no purpose behind it. But if we approach Christmas like we do Black Friday shopping on purpose, you don't just wake up on Black Friday and say, yeah, I think let's just brave the malls today. No, you're either planning to go or you're planning to stay home and shop Amazon on the computer. Right? And so you do it on purpose purpose with passion and so how are you approaching the day that is eight days from now are you approaching it on purpose and with passion not just for the event at hand of getting together with presents and food and family and friends and meals and everything else but for the anointed one and his anointing to show up on that day in your life because if you're just waiting for him to pop up to your christmas dinner and you haven't planned or made purpose for him more than likely you'll miss him all the way around Because you're waiting for him to show up, and his answer to you is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would answer the door, I will come in and I will eat with him, and he will eat with me. So you're waiting for Jesus to show up, and he's still outside knocking. Are we going to have enough passion, but do it with enough purpose, that we'll get the promise of God himself, and that is himself? And walk in this. So as we approach Christmas Day, we've got to jump into this with a plan of the mission. What are we trying to accomplish? And once you get your mission in hand, the mission is Christ at Christmas time truly making an influential impact in my life so much that my life changes that day. If that is the mission, what is the strategy? How are we going to get there? See, the wise men in the Gospel of Matthew understood strategy. They understood that they were going to go see Jesus Christ But it was going to take them about a two-year journey to get there. You don't go on a two-year journey just waking up one morning and say, Woo, let's just pack up the camels and let's go, baby. Right? No, if you're going on a two-year journey, there's some planning and some prep work that goes into place. And so the, 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 the wise men knew this, and it talks about it in Matthew 2, verse 1. And it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now listen. It says, now after Jesus was born, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The wise men were not at the manger scene. Just letting you know, okay? The wise men were not at the manger scene. It says, after Jesus was born. And it says, they came to the house where Mary and Joseph and the baby were. So after Jesus was born, they came in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of King Herod, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying this, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. Wise men know who they're going to worship and are not afraid to ask where they need to go to worship. The wise men know who they're going to worship. They know the mission. They're also not afraid to ask where to go worship at. You need to begin to ask yourself, where am I going to make Jesus Christ a priority in my life over the next eight days? Where is it going to happen? Because it's not going to happen if I don't plan for it to happen. If you don't have a plan, you're planning to fail, right? 
I mean, in this life, if you don't plan your day out at the end of the day, you'll be like, man, we did a lot of stuff. But what'd you do? Nothing. I ask this question to people all the time. Hey, how you doing? I'm so busy. What'd you do? Nothing. So you're busy doing a lot of nothing. And at the end of the day and at the end of the year, you look, wow, we did a lot of stuff, but what'd you do? Nothing. See, if you don't know your mission and who you're looking for and you don't know where he's at, you need to start asking yourself some questions. The whole Sam T. Cirk series is about this. Do we even know who we're worshiping on Christmas? Do we even know who we're worshiping? If you don't know who you're worshiping, you need to find a place to revitalize Jesus in your life. If you don't know where to go to worship him, we need to ask some questions. Where is he in my family structure? Where is he in my life? Where are we going to do things? This is why I love what Miss Sherry Chester did and with the TWBC Kids Advent Calendar. Starting December 1st, she gave you a mission and a strategy and a plan to walk it out. And you open an envelope every single day and there's a scripture in it and a gift in it. And your kids get to talk about it and they get to read the scripture. And she intentionally put life or Christ in every one of your kids' life at Christmas time. She intentionally did it. And it took a lot of man hours to do it. But here's the thing. I can't go to your house and open the envelope for you, and then you read the scripture to you to get the results. Kind of like, have you ever bought a workout DVD? So inspired in the moment, right? Ooh, I'm fixing to look like that. I'm ordering the DVDs, and they get there, and they're like, make me look good. Make me look good. You got to put it in the DVD player and use it. Now just watch it. You got to do it, Right? If you're going to get the desired results to look like that, yeah. right? But a lot of us got all these DVDs that are just on the shelf, and you wonder why you still look the same, <laughs> right? Come on now. Thank you, Jesus. I love you all. Amazing God. He's so great. It's the same principle. If you don't know your mission and who you're looking for, and you don't know where he's at, you've got to re-look at how you're doing some part of your life. Because they knew who they were looking for. They weren't quite sure where he was at, so they asked a question. There's nothing wrong with asking a question, but when you get the answer, go to where the answer is. Because the what that they were trying to accomplish was what they were going to do, and that's worship Jesus. Now listen, in the midst of their worship, they wanted to, they wanted to, to bless him, and they gave, we all know they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But I want to clarify worship for just a second. God does not need our worship. God does not need you to worship him. God does not have an inferiority complex. God does not um, need your worship to uh, cover up a shortcoming that he has. God is all powerful, stands alone in the solitude of himself, in his glory and his majesty. He wants you to worship him because in the midst of you worshiping him, you become the person that you know deep down inside lives within you. See, when you worship God, there's a purpose. And he wants your worship. He doesn't need your worship. He wants your worship because only in true worship do we become the person who lives deep inside of us. Listen, I love golf, okay? I don't want to say I love to play golf because I, I can't play golf. I can go out there and hit a ball and I can chase it 
and eventually get in a hole, but I can't play golf. I mean, I like to swing the clubs, I like to hit the ball, but I can't really constitute what I do as playing golf, okay? I'm, I'm horrible. I only get to play like twice a year, but when I get to go those two times a year, out of the 18 holes and the 120 shots it takes me to finish the round, right? So if you want to go, if you need somebody that has a huge handicap, that's me. And the 18 holes and the 120 shots it takes me to finish the round, there's one shot. Out of all those 18 holes, y'all golfers know what I'm talking about, that is like, it's the true golf shot. I call it the legit golf shot. I only get like one, one around. And what that means is I see where I'm going. I know what I want to accomplish. I grab the right club. I swing it at the right speed and power. I hit the ball and it goes where I intended it to go and lands where I intended it to land so I can put it in. It's the one legit golf shot that makes me realize there is potential for me to become who I really would love to be. And that's an amazing person on the golf course, right? That would be awesome. But that one legit golf shot keeps me coming back for more. Many of you love the experience you have at worship at TWBC because there's that one moment. Y'all know the moment when it hits. You know what I'm talking about? You're singing the first song, it's good. You get in the middle of the second song, boom, something hits, right? It hits, you know when it hits. It's that one true moment of face-to-face presence of God that you felt. It's that one moment in true worship where you become the person that you know lives deep down within you. And it happens. And so in that, only in true worship does that happen. And worship is this. Worship is love expressed. It's not words to a song. Worship is love expressed. It is not words to a song. And so we got to begin to realize this, that as we go forward in this, in, in, our, in, our, in our passion and in our purpose to get to the promise, the strategies involved, we got to realize who we're coming to worship, and that's Jesus. we got to know where to go worship him at, and when we get there, we got to know what we're going to do in the worship. And if worship is not songs and worship is actions, what is true worship? Have you ever heard the phrase, it's only the thought that counts? It's only the thought that counts. Well, I want to stop on that phrase just for a minute. Because if you were to say to your wife or your husband, you know what? I thought about you today and I thought about buying you flowers. and I had the best intentions of doing it. And I want you to know how much I love you. And I really thought about doing it, but show up with no flowers. It's not the thought that counts. Am I right? Let's go back to Mission Impossible, military aspect, because we're in attack mode. You know, I thought about it, Commander. I thought about doing what you said do. I thought about being at the, at the rescue point at the certain time to be there. I, thought, I really thought about it. I just didn't do it. What happens? <laughs> you would say, everybody here is saying, that is the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. A military is a military because it understands uh, chain of command and it understands directives and it understands extraction points and it understands the importance of this stuff. So if, if it's only the thought that counts doesn't work in our marriages and it doesn't work in our military, why is it really the thought that counts? Why does that work with our majesty? God. God, you know, I really thought about helping that homeless person today. I thought about it. Aren't you proud of me? And see, we, we would say, because we thought about it, we're doing good, but we still haven't worshipped. Still haven't worshipped in that moment. I want to 
talk to you this morning about if you're going to incorporate Christ into your next eight days, you've got to do it with passion, with purpose, to get to the promised results, and that's the mission. Your strategy is you've got to know who you're going to worship, and you've got to know where you're going to worship him at, and you've got to know what you're going to do in the midst of that worship, and worship is love expressed. And I want to read to you a scripture that defines what love expressed truly is. And this is the execution of the mission through the strategy to accomplish what we've been talking about all morning, approaching Christmas Day like it was Black Friday shopping. Listen to this verse of Scripture. It says this in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 46. And I'm going to read this out of the New American Standard Bible because I love the way it phrases a couple words. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. Everybody say hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. Everybody say thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. Don't say naked. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you a sick person or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to the least of these, my brothers, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now I want to clarify something. The eternal fire and hell were created for the devil and his angels, not for people. We have a great mission in the the kingdom of God with the body of Christ to bring people the good news of Jesus Christ because hell was not created for people. Okay, that's a side note, but that's something that's got to be so profound in our thinking. It's not some are saved and some are lost and some are going to hell and some are going to heaven. Hell wasn't created for people, so it's our job to make sure that they're going to heaven, bringing them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, We're populating a place that shouldn't be populated with people. So we need to be populating heaven. And then they say, has been prepared for the devil as his angels. I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they say to themselves also, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care for you at all? And he answers them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I want you to note something as we read this. This is an important principle to live by over the next eight days and for the rest of your life. When I do something for one of the least of these, I'm doing something to Jesus. I'm going to repeat that because second grade English words are vital in the Bible. When I do something for Jeff T. Meyer because him and his family were sick last week, I did it to Jesus. When I don't do something for Jeff T. Meyer because he was sick last week, I did not do something to Jesus. So when I do something for you, I'm doing it to him. So in other words, the least of these, as I look at Brother Charles right there, and as I look at Brother Charles, 
And he, if he is in the category of one of the least of these, Jesus says, when you do it for him, you're doing it to me. Therefore, I should look at him like Jesus. And if Jesus would need it, then I should do it to, for Brother Charles. Do, do you understand the importance of those, a three-letter word and a two-letter word? If you get them mixed up, it doesn't say, if I do something for Jeff, I'm doing it for Jesus. It says, if I do something for Jeff, I'm doing it to Jesus. That, that's a, that's a, that is an enormity of difference. That the body of Christ is just kind of let swing by in our English language. But when you start realizing, as I do this for Jeff, I'm doing it to Jesus Christ. And worship is love expressed. It's actions, not songs. So when I do something for Jeff, I'm worshiping to Jesus Christ. When I do something for Rusty Brennan, I'm worshiping to Jesus Christ. Because if worship is just songs, it's not really worship. But true worship is doing something that makes you realize there's a, that, that the person on the inside of you can really become who you're called to become. And so when I do not do something for the least of these, I'm not doing it to Jesus. Now here's the kicker. Every time about this year, pastor, what are we going to do? Something. Okay, what's the something? Nothing. Go do something. Anything. Go do it. Great, what do I do? Something. That's your answer, it's something. And people are like, well, well be the service, what are we gonna do? You're gonna do something. See, you go to Walmart and the stovetop stuffing box to you looks the exact same as it does to me but you're waiting on me to tell you to buy a stovetop stuffing box, make the stovetop stuffing, and go deliver it to someone. When did you really do something for someone, or did you just do what you were told? See, true worship, as it's coming into our life, needs to be that I'm just going to do something. It doesn't really matter what it is, as long as it's for somebody who is in need or the least of these, I'm doing it to Jesus. So my act of worship is not singing a song, saying glory in the highest. My act of worship is ministering to the least of these, and when I do it for Jeff, I'm doing it to Jesus, and whatever Jeff needs in that moment is the something that's provided. Every year when we do Be the Service and we feed 1,100 families boxes of food for Thanksgiving, everybody loves it because in that moment, they truly worshiped. And it wasn't about how good they could sing or how they looked in church. It was about you being the person True worship happens. It's about you being the person that you know deep inside of you lives and you're changing somebody else's life because I did it for him. I worshiped to Jesus. When I gave that elderly couple this box of food, I did it for them purposefully with passion and I ministered to Jesus in worship. And in that moment, people's eyes light up. Tears start streaming down people's faces. Everything changes. And for that hour, they feel the way they want to feel all year around. And so they know that it's deep inside of them because why? They truly worship. When you truly worship, you become the person that you know lives deep inside of you. So for the next eight days, I want you to go out and do something. I don't care what it is. Just do something for someone that will bring you to the presence of God. And that's called worship. And still people are thinking, great, so tell me what to do. Something, something, go do it. No, no, really, something, get out there and do it today. Do something. Because the problem that we have in the body of Christ is we're so command-driven and command-focused 
that it's a lot like the salesperson, and I was in sales for a while before eternities ago, where I had an appointment at a certain place, and on my way to that place, I realized that I missed 10 stops that needed the product also. But I was so driven on the place to get to the place that I missed my doing something 10 different times. And so many times in the body of Christ, we're so focused on, I want to go do something that on your way to the something, you're missing the someone who is a part of the something. And so when you go into Walmart and you're on your way to buy food for the homeless shelter and you're wondering about what can of corn you could buy, the lady right next to you is wondering if she can even buy the can of corn. You missed your something on the way to the something. Do you see the need is all around you? The need is right across the street. And Jesus said, when you do something for the least of these, you're doing it to me. So your strategy to make all this come together as we close this morning is simply this. Do something. Do it. Go. I believe in you. You're empowered by God. You hear from God. That can of corn on the shelf, whether it's Del Monte or High Top or Great Value, buy all three cans and give them to three different people. Do something. Just go do something. I mean, the gospel is so profound, but it's so simple. Do something. And I hope that rings in your head for the rest of the eight days. I got to do something. This pastor looks like he's going to blow a gasket on the stage. Because I know this week, somebody's going to call me and say, pastor, I want to do something. What can I do? Nothing. Go. Drive around the city. Drive to a part of town you never go to. Find trash in somebody's yard and pick it up for him. Do something. Because when you're doing it for someone, you're doing it to him. Because the thing that you do shouldn't be the paramount thing. It's who you're doing it to should be the paramount thing. Mitch, if you and your worship team can come, and I'm going to ask the ministers to come as I close with this point. The key to execution is this. The key to the execution of this mission is this. Do not get distracted by distractions. Do not get distracted by distractions. What do I mean by that? I want you to live with passion, on purpose, to get to the promises of God. That's your mission. But in doing so, you're going to ask, have to ask yourself, who am I worshiping? Where do I go to worship? What am I going to do when I get there? And what is worship? Worship is you're doing something for someone, and when you do it for someone, you're doing it to Jesus, so do something this week. The key to making sure the execution of this plan happens is don't get distracted by distractions. Don't get distracted by an agenda that you miss the opportunity. Don't get distracted by the one person that you're going to minister to and you miss 10 on the way. Don't get distracted by the things that have always taken our attention off of bringing glory to the Father. Here's the example I'll leave you with on this. As we talked about Black Shop Friday shopping, the difference between men's shopping habits and women's shopping habits. Got in trouble in first service, that's why we ran late. The difference between men's shopping habits and women's shopping habits. When I go shopping and I know what I want, 
I go in, I get what I want, and I'm done. 30 seconds, did something, and I accomplished what I want. For example, this Christmas, I only wanted one thing. I wanted the Alexa thing, you know, right? You talk into it and it responds, hey, what's the temperature? Da, 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 tell you the temperature. Hey, play the song. It plays the song, whatever. That's all I wanted. So we've been shopping in my house. We've been shopping the past couple days. We go into Bed Bath & Beyond. I see it. Heaven's open. And I see it. And it's there. And Sherry said, so what are we going to look for? I got it. There. No, let's go look around the store and see if there's anything. No, that, that's it. Streamlined, straight focused, missions at hand, right? Got the mission, got the strategy, we're executing it, in and out, right? My wife, when she goes shopping, she goes into the store. She sees the dress that she loves. I love this dress. Good, let's get it. No. But I don't understand. You love it. I do love it, honey. Well, let's go check at Dillard's and JCPenney's and Macy's and the other ones to see if it's cheaper there. But, but you love this one here. I know, honey. <laughs> Laura's sister kill me too. <laughs> and I'm like, but, but the mission... And then after eight hours of shopping, we come back to the same store we started at. And she picked up the same dress. And she says, I love it. I said, good, let's buy it. But I'm not sure if that's what I really, really want. Don't get distracted by distractions. When you see something, go get it. And I'm not talking about shopping right now. I'm talking about your worship to God. When I see doing something for Dahlia because she's in need, when I see something doing for her, go do it. Don't ask yourself the question, well, what if she has it? What if I'm misreading it? Did I hear from the Holy Spirit well? Did I not hear? Did I eat bad chicken? Did I eat good? Whatever. Do something. Do it. And if she didn't need it, it blessed her life anyway. And what you did for her, you did to Jesus. And if it blessed her, you just blessed him. And in that moment, in the Starbucks coffee line, you just worshiped. But so many times we talk ourselves out of worship. And I want you to just do something over the next eight days. Well, well, what do I do? Something. Me and my family, every night for 25 days of Christmas... We sit down for 30 minutes and we read a Bible story. We do our Advent calendar. We do some other fun family stuff. We make it purposefully intentful. I'm not going to tell you what I do because then you're going to try and do what I do. I don't want you to do what I do. I want you to do something. Do you understand? I'm trying to break you out of the mold of Western culture Christianity where you got to be told how to worship and told what to do. Your worship is when you do something for someone, you're doing something to Jesus. Your whole mission in life is this. It's doing it to him, to honor him. Some of you this morning, 
don't know what that's like because you've never made Jesus Christ Lord of your life. This morning, you are the one he's pursuing after. You're the one that this whole church service was put on for. It's the one who needs to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And so as we did it for you, we did it to Jesus to change your life.